Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. This is Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast where you actually get to have that date with that super bottle you've always wanted to. Until you realize that you have a quest to get back to. (laughs) Right. So this week we are talking about what do you do when you get off the plot train? And we all know what the plot train is. That's the reason the GM showed up. He thought he he, <laughs> he or she thought you guys were all going to go do something that had to do something with the the hopefully uh, meticulous planning and uh, and game balancing that had gone into the to the night session. Instead, you say, "Oh, but we need to do X or Y or Z or all three, if, you know, depending on how long your sessions run." So. We want to talk about, you know, when you're not actually playing the game that that you advertised that you were going to be playing, what do you do? So, Trav, what is your go-to? What is the thing that you love to do when you're not actually, you know, on the plot train? Well, I mean, usually my campaigns, they, they'll alter. I'll have, like one to four sessions of role-playing or, you know, investigation. And then I'll have the combat episode where, you know, usually all the role-playing and the investigation leads to, okay, we found this particular enemy. Deal with them. Now, my groups really haven't had... I mean, we do contact subplots, you know, usually dealing with SMEs subject matter experts for those of you who weren't in on that episode reputation things like building up the characters mojo in the campaign world romance subplots really haven't done a lot of those and i and 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 like bruce i've been gming for decades it's just my groups a lot of times they don't do they don't go down that route Okay, but I just really wanted to hear what if you had a particular thing that you really got into, as as far as what what your characters usually were the most interested in when you weren't actually, um, when you weren't actually pl- going after whatever it is, because because of course you know the plot in various games genres are going to be different, so we understand that. But I'm just saying is it's people. You know, they're, they're still people. There are still things that interest them about role playing games that you know don't interest them so much anymore. I mean, the very first D&D game I was ever in, I played a fighter, and they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go find a whorehouse and get laid. And they all looked at me. And what I didn't quite understand was, the GM was like, oh, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And the funny thing about it was, is that at that time, um, I was... A virgin. So here's the virgin wanting his character to go get laid. So that they didn't know that, but it's, it's just kind of funny in retrospect. But are you still there, Trav? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> no response. All right. No. Hey, anyway, so, but that's not what I'm into these days, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, I'm a lot older and, um, uh, but uh, you know that's a kind of a very superficial thing. It's basically you know trying to do it's that's a wish fulfillment kind of thing. Uh, but uh, and a lot of a lot of the subplots you might go into would be wish fulfillments. But uh, I you know these days when whenever I play and uh, I'm currently in a D and D game, uh, whenever I'm not actively following the plot of the of the story um i'm trying to basically enhance my position uh in the um the world as in you know i'm a cleric of the silver flame and i'm trying to 
basically make myself be be recognized, be my my church seem more important than the other churches, uh, and just generally make contacts with people so that you know using the fact that I am a cleric in this particular game to uh, you know to to basically you know act. Act as a bridge to gain influence, so that later on, if I need some help, or if I, you know, want to, you know, stick my nose in someplace it shouldn't be, I have people who can introduce me into various uh, levels of society, or I have people who will vouch for me. Probably more important, uh, because one of the biggest problems in any uh, role-playing game is is that you usually are not the uh, you, you usually don't play like Knights of the Round Table where you are all well-recognized famous people you're usually people that nobody knows who they are and so you're constantly in situations where you know it'd be really great if they all went oh well here's that person of course you know look here's Prince coming in yeah or, or you know anybody else you know JFK uh, you know Bruce Campbell uh, who played JFK uh, in a movie. Actually, that's not true. He uh, he uh, it, it was the black guy who played JFK. Bubba in, Hotep, yeah, yeah, Bubba Hotep, yeah, right. Anyways, uh, so I'm saying that's what I'm into. Uh, but let's uh, let's let's break it down here, you know, for our listeners. So uh, first of all, you know, keep in mind the fact that. The, the GM, the poor GM, <laughs> really has put a lot of effort. Would pro- really, really want you guys to get stay on the plot trade because that's why you know the GM's there. But at the same time, is that they do understand. Uh, uh, and if you have a a very forgiving and and uh, or very um, uh, indulgent GM, you should reward that GM. You should. Basically, you know, give that that GM two liters of whatever their favorite beverage is. You should bring them cookies. You should do stuff to let that GM know that you appreciate the fact that they're flexible enough to let you guys go and do some of the stuff that you want to do and not, you know, insist on staying on the plot trade. Because I've seen this in, in news and in, in on Facebook and things like that. He says, well, I guess we're not going to play because I came to play this. And if you guys don't want to play it, I guess there isn't a game. And that's actually advocated by people even today uh, as a way of GMing. Uh, uh, I personally think that's terrible. Yeah, it's passive aggressive. Yeah. Well, way. not only that, but it, it, it just basically is players are telling you what what makes them passionate, what what floats their boat, what basically is is, is why they're in the game. And you basically say, "Ah, oh, forget that. You're here because you're so amazed by my by my plots yeah. and my my adventures. That's why you're here." You know, and it's it's uh, it's a waste. It's a waste of uh, uh, motivation. And so, a little bit of indulgence can really pay off. When it comes time for you, then okay. Now that we've done all this, let's get going. And they're all like, okay, okay. And they and they actually, you can, you've got some emotional uh, leverage now to get them to really, you know, work through some of the possibly uh, less exciting parts of your adventure, uh, the problem solving, the uh, uh, you know, the the inter- interminable number of locks that need to be picked. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the the people that basically say, I never, I didn't see nothing, officer. He says, I'm sorry. He says, I was looking the other way. <laughs> so, you know, and you like, and you get to the point where you want to just go and, 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 you know, violate their Miranda rights with, uh, <laughs> violate their Miranda rights with prejudice. There you go. What, what's, the line from uh, Get Fuzzy, grab him by the, or the cat, you know, that talks to the human. Grab him by their supercuts haircut and shake him like a fresh glow stick. Yeah. There you go. Right, right. Okay, so, uh, but, okay, there's some things that the players really need to, to do. First of all, is that you got to, you, you know, just like me, basically pretty much saying, hi, let's make this adventure all about me. Okay, you really need to be considerate of the other players, okay? Uh, if you're trying to do something weird, you know, or uh, outre, uh, you, you know, the other players may not be down for it. You know, they may not want to, uh, you know, get into your uh, particular kink. Uh, and, but if they are, 
wow, then now you've got a group, and that can be really exciting. Uh, but you, know, you need to let people know. I mean, you need to let them know what you're trying to do so that they can get behind you or they can you know, take a, take a smoke break or something. Well, yeah, that, even just with uh, when I started my Saturday Night Modern Day Bureau 13 campaign, I threw like about eight different ideas. I said, okay, the Robotech After Dark Day campaign is wrapping up probably in the next couple sessions. I see it coming, and I've even had complaints from a couple other people that they're not feeling the campaign anymore. So I gave them eight different campaign ideas, and we all sat and talked about this for like about an hour, just what all we wanted to do. The whole point of getting us getting together for these tabletop role-playing games is collaborative storytelling. And it's not just collaborative in the storytelling sense, i.e. the GM and the players all get together to make this fantastic campaign and the stories in it, but you also have to collaborate on how to go about doing it. And if you have the GM who wants this one adventure and the players, you know, you're not going to, they, they're not having it, you're either going to have a lot of railroading, which is bad form for any GM, or you're going to end up being a very lonely person because the players are just going to, they're not going to want to play with you anymore. So it's collaborative on both counts. As far as how to go about the campaign, not only the main plot, but any subplots, that's collaboration again. Um, as we go on, I have an example I'll give, but let, let's get more into this first so we can give a, a broader sense of what it is to how to go about when you go off the rails. I do have an example. Okay. Get into this first a little more, then I'll give the example. The, the second thing was, is it be really considerate about spotlight time because, you know, every, you know, everybody has their pet thing that they want to get done and they want to be treated seriously. So you don't deserve the majority of the session time, even if your idea is awesome. Okay. You know, it better, you know, it, it, it you know, even if you think it's better or more important than everybody else's idea, it isn't because everybody's what everybody wants is equally important because everybody has the same amount of time at the table. So you don't deserve more than your share, even if your idea, you know, is awesome. So be respectful of other people. Try to work their their idea into your idea if you want a little bit more time, you know, so you guys can do stuff together and share the spotlight. In order to keep this working really well, you got to do as much work out of play as possible. You know, you ha if, if you have to uh, you know, do some number crunching, do some number crunching before you come to the session. Go do the research on, uh, on, on what spell components you need. Go find out you know, what's the uh, melting point of tungsten. Um, I mean, all, what, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you know, or, or you know, find out the lineage of the various you know, kings of uh, Sweden you know, of the 16th century if you're doing a time travel. Don't make, don't expect the GM to do your work for you. This is your idea. This is what you want to do. So therefore, you should do it. You, you know, and the GM, if if the GM's worth her salt, she's going to go and say, okay, fine. You know, if you say it's true, you did the research. I trust you because if you can't trust your players, then you're probably not going to last very long as a group, yeah, anyways. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's always going to be some people who fudge, and I've told players before that if you need. To, to, to roll, if you roll a 10 and you have to declare it a 20 in order for you to enjoy this game, then you just go right ahead and declare it a 20. Just so, just make sure everyone understands what you're doing. So we don't go, no, dude, it's, you know, the dark side is the 20 side. Because <laughs> we run into that before where people, you know, didn't quite get it and they were like, uh, uh. You know, they're trying to correct the person and we're like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it worked. Um, but the point is, is to do the work, okay? Don't, you know, there's there's email, there's Skype, there's texting, you know, all those are out there. I mean, you, you can talk to each other, you can talk to the GM, just don't load, you know, don't have like seven people load all of your pet ideas on the GM and expect the GM to do all the research for you. It just isn't fair. It's not what the GM signed up for. Uh, 
you know, it's you you got to take some ownership here. Um, but if you do do all that stuff, then also because you know what you're trying to achieve, you know what you want. Therefore, you can concentrate on the things that are most important. You know, it's more efficient. And then when the things start happening, then you know that it happened because you you know that it really was collaborative storytelling. You got you know you got in there and made it happen. So there's a great sense of of um, accomplishment. You know, uh, not only for your character but for you as the player because you were able to make it happen for your character. And just remember that the GM does have a story that the GM wants to get back to. And so you know, if the GM seems to be hurrying you along, it's because. They wanted to tell their story, too. They're not just your enabler. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, have uh, we reached the point that you wanted to, 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 to put your example? Well, it, you, when you mentioned be very considerate of spotlight time, they want to get their pet aspect treated seriously. Now, in my Friday game, it's the, the historical Bureau 13. They were in another dimension. It was the... The, the Dragon Mech game. I just had that as an alternate world. The team needed to go there to handle something. And my one player, Gina, who's playing... Actually, she's playing the daughter of Irish Pat O'Connell from uh, Black Potter Bureau 13. Because didn't say didn't they didn't have a daughter, so she made up this character, Rowan. Anyway, she has magical spells and wants to go down a necromantic route. So... It was a solo session. She wanted to have a background, a reason why she would start exploring more of a necromantic bent to her magic. So what she wanted to do was actually, I want to be dead. And I'm like, I'm your GM. I can arrange that. She's like, no, 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 no. You know what? <laughs> so I, she explained, you know, it's like, you know, like a flatliner type thing. And I'm like, okay. So I came up with this idea of, and you know, it's kind of a steampunky world. So you're going to have the weird, you know, bubbling vials and the big lights and kind of the Frankenstein-esque stuff. So I basically, I gave her this side plot to go looking through the city and found this very disreputable physician that was experimenting medically, scientifically with necromancy, i.e. just the side of Frankenstein's monster level stuff. So I basically made roles and we explored for this, you know, 20 minutes of running this scenario specifically for this character that basically she was dead and saw what it was like. And for a little while she was on the ethereal plane with the other ghosts. And then the doctor kind of used a weird steampunky defibrillator to bring her <laughs> I said yeah as you're looking you see the doctor come over through the ethereal haze and he gets these two copper flat things and sticks them on your chest and hits a foot pedal and all of a sudden you're back you know just but she got to role play out that particular aspect of her character to where now she's got these necromantic spells to help the team because she's already a medium. So she felt that this is a way to further enhance that part of the character of dealing with ghosts and the ethereal and the afterlife. And now she's wanting, and she just flat out says, yeah, when we kill enemies, we raise them up and send them back after their you know, former comrades. And I'm looking at Gina going, you're a sick woman. <laughs> but we got to role play that whole thing out and give her that spotlight, even though it wasn't part of my main plot which was to stop this menace from attacking this town. It was in sort of the, okay, you beat the kids and now the parents are coming to avenge their children. So in that, um, what's the term, downtime, she got to explore this, this upcoming facet of her character, Rowan. So I got to give her that little, okay, we're going to go off the rails here a little bit, and then we got back and took care of the secondary problem. So, yeah, it, it is important to, and that was her pet aspect, is that she deals with the afterlife and knows about spirits and everything, and I got to use that bit to help it now enhance this character. 
because she now has a lot of necromantic spells that she has access to. And the party's a little afraid of her using them just because it's necromancy. I mean, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it was something good for her to do and it, it didn't harm the plot any, but it was just fun to take that little, you know, sidetrack as they call it. Let's go to the actual uh, types of things that you might be interested in doing. Because, you know, it's like the GM goes and says, all right, we're going to, you know, you're back in town. Uh, I figure that it's probably going to take about three days for the, you know, the, the, the king or whatever to assay the information you brought back from the dragon's lair and come back with you on your next quest. So what you going to do? And in the which case you're like, uh, go get drunk, <laughs> or you know, uh, or you know that's that's the go to, the easy go to. But some people might actually want to do more than that, you know. So uh, the first possibility that I came up with was revenge. You know, there that person that squashed you like a bug when you were first level is probably still around now that you're tenth, and uh, you know maybe you haven't forgiven them. Maybe you're so maybe you're petty enough that you really think that it's time for them to get their payback. As and uh, and what's what's the uh, saying about revenge? It is a dish best served cold. Exactly. So there, if they don't see it coming, whoa, you know. So they're out going to the bar. All of a sudden, on the way home, they get shanghaied, and then the next thing you know, bad things are happening to them. I'm not saying that you know that this is a good thing to do. It's it's not a good thing to do. But I'm saying is that you know a lot of people have had you know deep motivations to do this sort of thing. Uh, if you want to be a little bit more uh, uh, you know a little more de devious about it, well you know let's say they have an offspring and that offspring is impressionable and you're a hero and you get them to. Uh, you know, you start talking them up, try to date them, date their offspring. This is the same person who treated you like dirt. Now you are dating their offspring. And you could be, you know, I mean, you could be the same age as the person who did this to you, you know, and you're, you're, you're doing this. Uh, <clears throat> so it's, you can, you can get some some uh, social violations going in there if you wanted to. He says, "I don't care that he's older, Daddy. He's he's such a hero, and I so admire him." You know, and he's like, "Yo, yeah, he's, he's a punk. He's a punk. He always was a punk. He'll always be a punk." You know. So, anyways, uh, and of course, if you really want to want to hurt him, then you basically crush, you know, crush the offspring, and and then they they turn it. They go crying to their daddy and. Their daddy knows that the reason you did it was because of what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you can do some nasty stuff. Well, yeah, you know, hit them where they live, you know. Right, right. I mean, if the GM is playing the character, you know, like a real character, you know, they're going to be invested in their offspring. Or, you know, you can, uh, you know, that beautiful, um, you know, statue that they had put up in their all, you know, in, uh, you can... Put graffiti on it. I mean, you could do whatever. It could be it could be minor. It could be major. If you want to do revenge, then that's something that's uh, you know is actually available to you, um, and um, it's up it's up to the GM uh, how they deal with that. Uh, some GMs just won't tolerate that sort of thing. They're like, no, we're not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna let you sit there and and and, and screw over my NPCs, you know, <laughs> my babies. Well, yeah, that that's the whole thing with us game masters. Bruce is like, yeah, we treat our campaigns, our characters, our villains. They're like our kids, and you and I are both parents, so we know this. Yep. But there are just certain times that it's still just a character. It's an idea, notes on a paper, and your players. The way that you screwed them over when they were first level, they really didn't like that, and in order to be part of that good collaborative storytelling, there are just certain things you need closure on. Uh-huh. And revenge is often it. It's like, yeah, that guy's still around because I've had it. I've had, um, well, it's sort of longitudinal in the fact that it happened, as I said, my Friday and Saturday games are historical modern-day Bureau 13. 
And one of the big bads that are in both campaigns is a dragon. It's just a hundred and some odd years difference between the two campaigns. In the Friday night campaign, he's like 201 years old, and he's like 326 in the Saturday game. Well, this blue dragon, Mr. Storm, as he's known as, because, you know, he hides behind a human facade in this town, Eli, Nevada, back in 1890-something. They call me Mr. Storm. Exactly, yeah. So he's there in the modern day, and the Saturday night people meet up with him. Now, I have a few players from the Friday night game, or they were in the Friday night, so they know this character. They know this NPC. So what I had the team's hacker do was, okay, D20, you roll the profession check to get the wealth check, and she is an IT person. That's what I gave her. Well, it's like you do computer stuff, Tracy. Yeah, that's your character. So when I had her roll her wealth check, I computed out just how much money she hacked out of Mr. Storm's accounts. And she thought that was particularly nice. I said, you don't understand. This Mr. Storm has been bugging the Western U.S. version of the Bureau for over 100 years in one way or another. You got him back for all the crap he gave Team Six Gun back in 1889. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now $189,000 really probably wouldn't be much to a dragon. Yeah, it'd be, you know, a decent pile of gold. But damn it, it's the principle of the matter. <laughs> and even Colleen, and even Colleen who, or no, it was Josie, Pixie. She's just sitting there going, I can hear her just shaking her head at me over the Skype going, that's not right. <laughs> but, oh, it is. <laughs> but there are also some very long-lived characters that are NPCs that are in the Bureau who, who when this happens, go, uh, about time. Because <laughs> they remember, you know, they, they were there when the fallout happened in the first place. So they can, they can appreciate the fact that somebody got their comeuppance. Well, yeah, and as I said, this character, you know, is back in 1889. He's still alive today because I kind of arranged it with the players. It's like, you know, if you kill this dragon, there's going to be a power vacuum and what comes. And I and I discussed this in game. And I said, you do realize you kill Mr. Storm. The entity that may replace him in this area will probably be worse because it's somebody it's like. They're going to be looking for the person that killed a 200-year-old blue dragon. And they're like, crap, yeah, we have to keep him in place. So I ensured that he is still around for the Fire Day Bureau 13 game. And I did it all in-game. But, yeah, Tracy got a particular squeak of glee when she realized she hacked a dragon's monetary holdings and got, like, $189,000 out of it. And I said, oh, yeah, he knows it's you. He knows you. You got him. Yeah, he may have screwed over your your leaders because it's a long running rivalry, but you kind of got your 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 poke in. So yeah, he he's keeping his eye on you, but he also knows if he messes with you, he has to deal with the rest of the team. So he's he, it, what he's going to write off the loss <laughs> because he knows if if he tries to you know to be an escalation. But still, it was just something that it was revenge. As far as my campaigns go, 125 some odd years in the making. <laughs> and I let them have it. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll give you that. <laughs> but no, revenge, yeah, it, it's, I don't think I've ever done that. Where later in a campaign, they go back after a fall. I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever done that plot. I mean, what I just described was as close as I've ever come to it. But I mean, not in one campaign. I might, have to, I might have to actually try that sometime. Well, you might. It's just, uh, were you talking about where a, a, a character is going after their own personal nemesis? So, you know, that's that that's, can be just as big as what you're suggesting. So, Well, yeah, it, it, it just, yeah, you know, the guy, you know, but yeah, I mean, keep around an NPC. And why, well, why is he around? Well, he figured you guys ran and, you know, went crime to your moms. He didn't expect you to come back. He got cocky. You know, that's why it's a, he's a villain, you know. Right. Villains have a tendency to think they're on top of things. Right. And most and most of the time they are. It's just yeah, the, until they find out that they're 
they wake up and they're hanging upside down by their ankles, you know, off the top of an apartment building, screaming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. Yes. Who are you? Uh, I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? Fear. Yeah. Okay. There's there's seven ways of taking taking down somebody. Three kill. Four. You know, uh, actually, I said seven. So uh, th uh, three. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, causes paralysis, but one just hurts, <laughs> <laughs> and you hear crunch. <laughs> oh God! It was one of the Dark Man movies. I don't know if it was the original with Liam Neeson or the other ones with um. I know who he is. Yeah, Arnold Vosloo, the guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was um. Robert G. Durant with his cigar uh, chopper. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I have ten reasons why this is going to be a bad thing for you. One, because of this clip. and he, I mean, takes the whole finger off and the guy's screaming. Two, I still have nine more reasons. <laughs> and it trails off with the guy screaming. <laughs> and a little context for that. Is that the, the one of the reasons he became, he was such an effective villain is because right before he got this role, he was playing the retarded uh, uh, janitor guy in L.A. Law, which yeah, was a, yeah, yeah, which yeah, a yeah, huge, yeah, huge TV show. Everybody was watching it. So when all of a sudden they saw him being this menacing bad guy full, with full faculties, they're like, what? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I think I saw an episode or two where it was like that. Then I saw him as the character Robert G. Durant. And I'm just like, okay, well, it's always good when you see someone playing a relatively good guy. And then all of a sudden they, their next character is an evil one. Well, he was so popular. He came back like after like this, he was gone. And then the next movie, you know, the next movie he was gone. And then he came back the third one. The return of Durant was, yeah, called, was, yeah. was the subtext on the, it was dark man Ford, return of Durant. I'm like going, yeah, Oh, is this, they love you, man. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, NPCs that, that that have to get a sequel, those are always uh, those are always great. Well, I, I had I had that with a character that, and this is when I was role playing in the old AOL chat rooms. Mm -hmm. You do know that half of our audience probably doesn't even know that AOL had chat rooms. Okay. Folks, a chat room? No, no, no. I'm now they know what one is. They just didn't know that AOL had them. Oh, yeah, but I had this character, imagine sort of, kind of a Emperor Palpatine-type character. Publicly, he was known as a politician, but he also had magical powers and basically was orchestrating to take over his world. Well, I must have done something even 25 years ago that I played this character so well that I brought him back once, and it was the whole, you thought I was dead, after I finally killed them off, I'm still going, you know, they're like, you know, this is before my trap day. So it's so, hey, Robert, you know, you, you bringing back Uden Triar? And I'm like, no, he's dead. No flashback scenes. No, no alternate timelines. He's gone. I killed him off for really for a reason. Oh, come on. You know. So, yeah, that's one of the good things with the revenge. You got to have a good villain. If it's just, I mean, it's nice if it's the bully that. Your first level and like you're playing like a teenager's game, like the D20 minigame Grim. Yeah, and it's the bully that, you know, beats you up and, you know, leaves you there whimpering and crying. You you get him later. Right. But he was really that bully was really menacing at first level. So yeah, now now they might be a little pathetic, you know, so you get that going in there too. But yeah, I mean they you have to be willing to deal with that. That that the the villain may not be as good the second time around because it's not realistic for them to be that good. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're now tenth level and you go back and this guy is still a first level thug, I mean, you can still salvage it because if you role play him realizing, oh my god, these are the guys I beat up three years ago, and just how can I say this? Not pander, but just really ham it up for the players that this guy is realizing that 
karma's about to bite him in the tuchus. You know, <laughs> become become an unabashed, you know, uh, pleading for 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 mercy and 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 stuff like that. You know. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, there's there's some characters that uh, in the I was in the first or the second. There's this one guy who just kept weaseling out of you know in oh, and out Benny? of Benny, oh, love Benny. Benny. I mean, oh, you know, I love Benny. I'm gonna get you for this, Benny. Oh, like I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, and I think he survived it all too. Yeah, until, I mean, this came out like 20 years ago, so no spoilers here. He does die in the end, but even but even then, O'Connell was, you know, as, as you know, the thing closed down, he just, goodbye, Benny. Because it's still, <laughs> there was a context of friendship there, even though Benny went over to the dark side and sided with Imhotep. But he was a good character, even though he ended up with, you know, Imhotep's backing. He was still Benny. There were still things that O'Connell could do to get, you know, that little joke, you know, you know, the little ribbing, and then they're trying to kick the crap out of each other. Yeah. So, yeah, playing a character that if he is just an unabashed weasel when you come back to, you know, um, settle the score, and if your GM role plays it correctly, it can be wonderful even though the guy is now, it's like this guy's less than a threat. We're just role-playing threatening him. We don't have to lay a hand on him at this point because he sees that we're, you know, BMFs now. Now, if he was a very powerful villain that you guys went up because, you know, you, you didn't plan and he, you know, smacked you down. And, you know, he was a very grandiose villain and you come back when you're 10th level it's a little more satisfying because now you do know we're not going to totally, you know, liquefy this guy, but he's still going to get a trouncing because he, you know, smacked us around a few years back. So it just depends on how you play the villain, but the revenge either way should be satisfying on a visceral level for your players and the characters. It just depends on what type of villain you have and how the GM plays it off. So, but yeah, I, I just, I, I kind of like the, the, the really powerful villain just, you know, like with a wave of a hand sends everybody flying and then he realizes those same characters now who have like artifacts and technology and powers, they come back and it's like, we remember you, <laughs> we hold grudges, you son of a, you know. So yeah, it, it just depends when you do a revenge plot. The GM really has to, you know, and, and it, it helps a lot that depending on the scope of the villain, give the players that visceral thrill of we have closure. Yeah, give them the closure that they, they that that they asked for. I mean, it's it's great if you can do a little twist at the end, but you know, just remember that they're doing it for a reason and so probably you should give it to them. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that the GM is going to be like, well, what if I change it so now they they, they, they can't get the revenge because they do they'll they'll be doing something terrible and they feel bad about themselves. It's like you're you're missing the point here, folks. <laughs> yeah, they just told you what they really wanted to do in the game, and you're not letting them do it. So that's not that's not what you're there for. Yeah, we we can't express this enough in this episode. Railroading as a GM is just bad form. Yes, we understand you game masters have a plot. That's the reason why we're having this whole episode is how you go about getting back to your plot yet still satisfying your players and characters' desires in the grand scope of whatever campaign you're in. Right. You, you Basically, you earn a little bit of cooperation. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So let's move on to the second one, which is, and, and that's what I mentioned that, that my character usually is looking for, is some kind of status enhancement. Because if you want to be a knight or a high-level druid in D&D, &D, uh, most of those require joining some kind of an order and taking extensive training, and maybe you have some side missions that are not going to be along the primary plot line. 
So these are golden opportunities for you when you get this kind of time to do it. Um, and they're important to your character because usually they end up with, in the case of D&D, they almost always end up with special abilities, uh, which hopefully will be good for everybody. Uh, but uh, even if they don't, I mean, it's just that, you know, you, you've got to, you know, it, you've got to make a commitment here. Uh, and not everything just, just, you know, you came back with the dragon's head, you're all knighted. You know, I've done that in my game. Um, but really it's, you know, a lot of times earning it or moving you up through the ranks of knighthood is actually a much more satisfying thing for the players because they get to go through that, that kind of knighting ceremony multiple times uh, for, for their character. And you get to have a big special party, and everybody tells you how great you are. And because <laughs> I don't know about you, but my party doesn't go around telling each other how great we are. We're basically like, oh, yeah, you're a thief, come on over here and pick this lock. Not like, oh, you are so awesome, man. I'd have to bust that door down, but you just go over there and just wiggle that little piece of metal, and bam, we're through. You, you rock, dude. You know, I mean, nobody does that. So these kinds of, uh, when you do things that get you ceremonies or things like that, or if you get invited to like a ball that you, that, that nobody of your, of your original class level would have been allowed to, then that's, that adds, you know, it's, what is it? It's um, validation. It provides a lot of validation for your character that you may not be getting any other way. You know, or, you know, it's a concrete validation, which what, what might be more of a, you know, a, a kind of a theoretical validation because you know you, if you were if you were a duke that meant you had land somewhere you know so, so and and if someone knights you or gives you a dukedom then you know you're going to have to start deal, worrying about how the how your you know your holdings are doing and what's going on with them you know uh and not just run around and 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 be the awesome fighter or mage or whatever that you might be normally doing so it's if you don't want that you know do your best to avoid it <laughs> you know you don't have to do that you know well i mean there are there for depending on your system there are books that deal with how to go about doing things like this now for pathfinder and you could use this for any d20 you have ultimate campaign where you deal with things like okay in between adventures what am i doing oh i'm researching a spell Oh, I'm making contacts. Oh, I'm joining, like we're talking here, I'm joining this specific order so I can, you know, go through the ranks and gain a title, reputation. Um, uh, uh, perks, like, and, and for those of you who remember the episodes we did on Bureau 13 in the Second World, the organization's in the second world, like the City Watch, the College of the Interstice, the Appalachian Dwarves, those are forms of status enhancement in that, yeah, you join this College of the Interstice, and if you get a high enough level position, you've got access to their top level spells, you have access to, oh, what are the outer planes like? Oh, we have a map of this particular part of the elemental plane of Earth here that we, you know, that we can lend you. Or so as you join those organizations, you gain influence. And there are a lot of these um, organizations have multiple levels of access that, okay, I can gain partial access where I might have a minus to my roles to get stuff, or I can pay the influence points and get the full access. And I get bonuses to my roles because of the fact that I am like in the upper echelon of the researchers at the College of the Interstice in the City of Runes. And I can get artifacts, you know, I can get ring gates and all this other cool stuff because I've went through the time and the effort and, you know, donating the, the, the not tides, like membership fees every year sure and so oh now i can you know just go to their magical library you know. guild dues yeah guilt thank you and just oh i can get this ninth level spell now because 
I've paid my dues figuratively and literally at the college here. And, oh, you need a wish school? Yes, I have it right here. You know, so Ultimate Campaign and the Second World Sourcebook are wonderful examples of this about how you can go about enhancing character status because they give you not only what you can do, but how you go about doing it. And there are other books that I know of that give you factions and orders that you can join. And uh, let's see, what are they? Dreamscard Press, Path of War and Path of War Expended. Uh, basically, the rewrites of the Toma Battle Book of Nine Swords from Wizards for 3.5. They have all these martial, they call them martial traditions. And basically, they're fighting guilds of one type or another. They could be monastic orders, they could be knightly orders, they could be thieves' guilds, but they allow you to gain access to the various martial disciplines that are in these two books. And some of them, you know, are otherworldly, which means you could be getting, you know, the martial art that allows healing. I believe it is called Silver Crane, where you do a martial maneuver and whatever damage you do to your opponent, you can, you know, heal an ally or yourself of it. But you don't get to know this martial art until you join this particular order of night or this particular order of dimensional travelers or, oh, there's another good status enhancement example. Um, it's another second world thing. It's called the pact system. And you gain these extra, extra planar pacts that allow you to access powers of the upper and lower planes. Now, you have to make these pacts, and you have to, like, if you want extra pact-level power where you can do the... There's four levels. If you want to be able to do that fourth-level pact, yet you only have Pact Gate 1, the first-level Pact Gate spell, which is, like, third-level Cleric, second-level Wizard Sorcerer. If you do things, or donate money to causes, or give up a part of yourself, either psychologically, emotionally, or even physically, you can gain these pact levels where you gain status with these pacts. You could be calling upon um, ice devils. And if you commit, well, of course, you're not going to tell your friends this because you're dealing with something on the lower planes. But if you commit you and, let's say, your party and all your followers and, oh, and my paladin has a war mount and my bard has followers. Oh, yeah, we're all together. Well, congratulations. All these people, you know, that makes you a general in the in the uh, armies of the Legion of Ice. We may call upon you sometime. But in the meantime, we'll allow you to have certain packs that will help you out. But you will have to pay the piper. That's kind of what you get when you're dealing with the lower planes, but still, those three examples that I just gave, Ultimate Campaign, the Second World Sourcebook, and the Pact System from the Second World Sourcebook, are all wonderful ideas for D20 for status enhancement, how you can get your characters into organizations and gain the title and gain the power and gain the prestige and the reputation and the mojo to, as a character, shape your campaign world. And your GM will help you out because he'll have this information. And he's, oh yeah, you know this. If you go to the city, you'll get, you'll find out about this this fighters guild that you know they they teach us this particular sword style. You know, things like that. A lot of times, a lot of books will have this in campaign books or in rule books like the Path of War books from Dreamscarred Press. You're g just ask your GM, is there a way, okay, I want to be able to do this. Your GM should have some way to make that happen. And he can fit it, plug it, you know, plug and play right into the campaign. So I do like those type of side quests because in a way, in the long run, that's the best way to make your character grow. Because you know, if you're trained to be that knight or that high-level druid, Knights have followers and they can lead armies and high-level druids basically end up damn near controlling every aspect of nature. So traveling along that path is worth it because look what you get at the end. So it's that I for me, that's probably one of the best 
type of plots to, if you're going off the plot train, because they help your character in the short term and in the long term. So that's just me. Those are the ones I find the most rewarding when I was a player and now now that I'm a full-time GM. So, yeah, it just, as I said, for me, those are just out of the, the six you listed, those are my favorite. The status enhancement. Because I get to have fun with the players and just, okay, let's make this happen. How are we going to do this? So, Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, of course, if you know, there are, uh, if you're into trophy hunting, uh, one of the biggest trophies is the uh, person that you might want to spend your time romantically with. As we said at the beginning of this, you finally get to go on that date with that supermodel, that princess, that um, barbarian queen. Um, maybe you know that's that time. Those that time you have now, you can finally you know ride off to that estate and um, finish what you started. So who knows how many game sessions ago with somebody? Uh, so it's. Uh, uh, and of course, if you are, you know, if you're into bragging, then of course, you know, some some people are doing it because they want to develop a relationship. There are other people out there who are players, and they want to say, oh yeah, I've you know, I've had sex with five hundred different uh, humanoid species, <laughs> and uh, and they and then they, they they have all these tales to tell at the local. So we are now fully into the third point here. Why don't you read your? Why don't you read your flavor text for this one, Bruce? <laughs> yes. Why? Yes, you can bang a fire elemental. Fill my glass, and I'll tell you all. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, there's going to be these players that want to do that. You know, they basically are. <laughs> I was waiting for you to, and I'm and I'm there with the hand motion, like, come on, read the flavor text. That was funny as hell when I was reading it at work. Yeah. <laughs> There's two different directions you can go. You can go with the full romance where you're really trying to do it, you know, create a long-term relationship. Or you could just simply use these, you know, these uh, few days or hours of downtime to, uh, uh, you know, to do your version of uh, uh, lowering your score on the medieval or fa uh, or the role-playing... Um, purity test? Uh, purity test, Yes. Oh dear God! Colleen did this in um, at the beginning of uh, Mind and Perky Goth's Time Lords and Magic campaign. We moderated characters, but they ended up on an outer space fantasy world. And Colleen, I love her dearly. She's one of my dearest friends, but she looked me dead in the eye and said, "Trav, I want to go on a brothel crawl." This character, basically, female Captain Jack Harkness type character. So, yeah, I already knew this was coming, but still, it's so different when you actually hear the players say, yeah, so I'm just making all sorts of jokes about it. Just, I'm, I'm you know, it's all adults at, in my games, you know, this one in particular. Except for when the daughter's listening. <laughs> Pixie's just there like, oh, dear God, Mom. <laughs> Like, how do you think I feel, Josie? I'm the GM. <laughs> I'm just glad I don't have stats for this. And and colleagues looking at me, I know you do. You, I've seen your PDFs. So I'm like, shut up. You're not helping. <laughs> and, of course, everybody else is joined. And it's just, it was, and it was all in good nature. But it got to the point where it was just this side of <clears throat> shaming. Because, I mean, we're just... Some of this stuff was pretty savage that we're busting Colleen's chops with. But it was. I mean, we didn't have to role-play it out, but we all knew what Colleen's character was doing. Right. And so, yeah, this was, it was flat-out sexual trophy hunting, no mincing words. We all knew what Colette was doing, you know, the character. And just, and I just looked at her, I say, okay, you waddle back the next afternoon. And Josie is just, I can hear her cringing over. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, Trav, you're not helping. I said, I'm not supposed to be helping. I'm telling what's happening. This is Colette. Yeah. That's right. I, I'm, I'm an enabler here. <laughs> right, exactly. Now I'm being an enabler, yeah. yeah. But it, this one, this is one that's really tricky because of 
not only the type of players you might have, but the type of role playing. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I mean, even let's say if I were to have, let's say my, my nephew Jericho was back in the game, you know, back when he was 13. Doing a romantic subplot for a 13-year-old boy, you know, there's going to be a lot of giggling and all that. And it's just, it's not the right thing to do. You say, okay, fine. Those two are off walking hand in hand. And that's the most you do. Right. Now, there are other people that just, that's not their style of role playing. So, as I said, this is that, and and this term got a lot of bad flack a couple years ago. It's a slippery slope. You have to have the characters who are willing to put in the time for this particular one. Yeah, otherwise, you know, otherwise it it basically doesn't have the ring of truth either. Because, you know, if you say, well, I'm going to, I make, it's, it's like the joke from the gamers. I make my seduction check. I'm a bard. I have a plus 20. Yes, you know. Queen Esmeralda throws herself at your feet and asks you to to you know to to may have your way with her, and I'm like you know, but that's so unsatisfying for everybody. You might have a lot of people who are uncomfortable with it. If you want your one character to do this, and the rest of the party is just you know the rest of the table are just like this is not what we came here for, you know. As I said, this whole third one, it not only takes a more adult group, but it also takes a group that is willing to go down that plot line, even if they're just a spectator. Even even if you're doing this with the one particular player at your table, the others are kind of are kind of like, okay, yeah, you know what? This is yeah, just it feels weird. You know, you don't do this stuff at a gaming table. This one would be good. If you did it by email, if you guys, if you have the time that you can sit there and email back and forth and just say, okay, well, this character, and you have it, it's there in writing, it happened, you say it's canon part of the campaign, but you don't, and I hate using this term, inflict it upon the rest of the table. As I said, it's a slippery slope with this one, just because sometimes you can get into some, some pretty out there subject matter. And you may have full-grown adults who just feel uncomfortable with anything sexual with a role-playing game. So as I said, you just kind of, you got to watch it with this one. It just, but as I said, with Colleen, we just, yeah, we we were like, yeah, okay, we're just going <laughs> to, it's good-natured ribbing. It's all there. We all know it. We'll hear Josie cringe over the Skype. It's all good. <laughs> that one time it worked. Other than that, uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I had, I've had players who said, okay, I'm going to the bar. Do I get lucky? You know, and I'm like, you know, okay, just roll some dice. <laughs> so, you know, make, make a, you know, make a persuasion check, you know, and uh, they, they, they do. It says, okay, yeah, you know, but then uh, you found somebody and then, you know, if that's all they want and that's, that yeah, fine. plays back, you know. But if they if they walk in and they say, "Who's the prettiest girl in the room?" and they start chasing after that one, then it's probably going to be a little bit more work. Which is why, you know, I you know I prefer uh, players to you know put some work into it. Say, okay, you know, uh, you know what you're going to have to you're going to have to give me a speech to go along with that role, or I'm I'm just going to assume that you're just over there, look, you know, trying your best to look, you know, enticing. Yeah, like like a like a, a male character in a lot of the anime. They just stand there and looks with smoldering eyes, <laughs> you know. And, and and the girls invite them over, you know, or something, you know. They they who is that guy, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and you keep seeing them, and after like four four or five times that they've done this, they finally say, "I'm so and so," and you're like, "Oh, really?" And then you know, something happens. But yeah, there, there's some real wish fulfillment there. The idea that you can seduce somebody just with a gaze, you know. Now there there's a couple of characters, you know, a couple of supermodels uh, on the, that have graced the covers of Sports Illustrated who probably could claim that. But yeah. you know, it's 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 rare. It's 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 uh, pretty pretty rare. This is Bruce Sheffer saying 
There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.